0: Hello and welcome to the My Hormones My Health podcast. My name's Laura and I have PMDD. Come with me as I navigate my way through the highs, the lows and the lowers of all things relating to hormones and health. I can't promise that I'll have all the answers but at the heart of everything I do I'll be aiming to spread a message of hope that a life with hormone or health issues can be compatible with a life of joy. Welcome to episode three of the My Hormones My Health podcast. Today I'm joined by Rachel who last year after feeling that every attempt of managing her PMDD symptoms hadn't worked, made the decision to have a full hysterectomy and oophorectomy. Rachel's now working for IAPMD as the youth advisory chair and is also training to be a hypnopsychotherapist so that she can help support other people who are going through what she did with PMDD. So here's our chat. Okay, hello. Um, on today's episode, I am joined by Rachel. So hi, Rachel. Thank you for being on with me today. Um, hello. I'm really excited to have Rachel as my first ever guest because, as I mentioned on my previous episodes, I had my PMDD light bulb moment when I saw a post about it on Instagram. And it was actually Rachel um, who had posted it. And I just remember, I I was sat there and I sent you that message and I didn't really know you, but I just kind of blurted out like, I think I've got PMDD. And then when I waited for you to reply, I remember I showed the message to Gaz and he was like, you could have said hello (laughs) because I didn't even say hello because I was just so... um, I don't know if I'd use the word excited, but I was excited to have my light bulb moment. So mm-hmm. it's really nice to have you have you on with me today. Um I'm obviously very thankful for Rachel because it was her post that led to to me being diagnosed with PMDD. And especially thank you for coming on today as well. Oh, today nice is all about Rachel. So it's about her fight against PMDD and how she made the decision to undergo surgery last year in a bid to rid herself of her PMDD symptoms. So if we start kind of at the beginning-ish for you then, Rachel, do you mm-hmm. remember what your first experience was of PMDD and, and did you know something wasn't right? I suspect my
1: first uh, experience with PMDD was just when I had my first period when I was 14 um it's re- like I think you said on your last on last episode it's really hard to gauge what's actually PMDD or what was just normal you know teenage hormones but I definitely suffered with PMS the since having periods and the time it really kicked into high gear was when I was about 16 um and it got it just is it got progressively worse and then after being on birth control it got even worse um it, it was i i noticed uh, like a big change after get coming off the implant the one that goes in your arm i don't remember the name but there was such a huge drastic change in my mood when that uh, got taken out um but i still didn't realize it was to do with that but like retrospectively, that was definitely
0: the trigger. But I was a complete nightmare to be around. Um, yeah. Do you think that the implant and and the, the the pill was a contributing factor? Then was it something that maybe did kind of spur it on to start? Did I think so? I think talking to other people who
1: um, have have PMDD, I think it can be a real trigger for it. it it's hard to say whether I would have had PMDD. You know, at all. If I hadn't been on birth control, I I suspect I would have. It just would have come on later. Maybe if I'd had a child, it would have come on postpartum. Um, I think I'd naturally have the sensitivity to hormones, and it it just was the trigger for it. Um, It's very easy to look back and think, oh, what if I'd never been on the pill? What if? I was thinking that just the other day. But you, you just you just don't know, unfortunately.
0: and it's interesting isn't it because I I think I was saying in the last episode that for me I think that I did have something before any kind of contraceptive Mm -hmm. and I actually think that going on the mini pill did actually have an impact in, in a good way yeah um initially but it was when I came off it and again, it's like you say, it's that that extreme sensitivity, isn't it, to just that change that's going on. And it does make me think, what What if I'd never go, gone on that pill or I'd just stayed on it even longer? Would I still be none the wiser? It yeah. throws up a lot of questions, doesn't it?
1: It really does. It's just people don't know. That's what's yeah.
0: difficult. There's just no, there's no research to say either way. Did you know that something wasn't right then? Was that when you were about sixteen that you thought this this isn't right, or was it before then? I I knew something wasn't right with my
1: mental health at sixteen. I thought I had depression. Okay. I didn't I didn't get any help um, or really tell anyone, but I knew enough to realise that something was wrong.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, that's around sixteen was when I started to feel suicidal and I'd start to self harm. Um, but I didn't really t- speak about it to anyone at the time. And it sort of went away for a bit um, when I was on the implant. And uh, it it only really came back when I came back off the implant and it stopped working. Still, like, you know, looking back, it's so easy to see the correlation,
0: but you just don't know. You just don't know at the time. Like, why would you? Why would you put those two together if you've never heard of it? I think since I started the podcast, the amount of messages I've had from people saying, oh my God, it's so obvious, but I just wouldn't have known. Yeah, you just
1: uh, I just
0: wouldn't. I may, and maybe it is obvious, but as, as somebody said to me today, when you are, to you, to use my phrasing, in the pits of despair, mm-hmm. you're probably not logically thinking, is there a pattern here or is there yeah. something to help me to identify it? That's not really on the agenda is it so you can see why it's it takes a while for for us to notice absolutely and it doesn't and you, go on I was just going to say what you said in the last episode about you
1: thought realized something was wrong wanted to go see your doctor but by the time you went the appointment came around you felt better yeah. and then you you feel like a fraud you're like oh well I'm not really depressed I feel fine today and this week like I've got loads done and then you've f- suddenly slip into really depressive state and you think oh my god I'm a failure I'm just like the worst person ever and I can't handle my mental health it's uh, it's so uh, rings so true for me as well
0: it's uh do you know just me hearing that it's not just me makes me feel like thank god for that yeah. and even though I know it's not just me I know that it's a real thing I think sometimes we all just need to hear somebody else say it as well don't we absolutely mm-hmm. it's very easy to think well what's been different the last few weeks to just suddenly make me feel really depressed again and straight away you're going into that territory of what is it that I've done differently mm-hmm. and therefore of course the blame will lie on ourselves of course i think yeah. i think that's the issue that i have with self care because i know i've said in the last episode you know self care to me is so important but I do also think that it just puts such an emphasis on the individual, yes. almost a bit too much responsibility on the individual to look after themselves because we all know it's important to look after ourselves. But I do believe that sometimes we just need some somebody else to, to support us um, and to give us those inst- Instagram posts and things like mm-hmm. that to, to help us get that light bulb moment. Yeah, definitely. Can you describe the feeling of experiencing PMDD symptoms? I would describe it as
1: feeling like that you are having, going through a really major bereavement once a month. It feels, I would just, um, yeah, I could compare it to feeling like the worst grief you can feel. It feels like that at its worst it feels like there's no point in living you're just so so in such despair and uh I think the another thing I would describe as is you can't control your own thoughts and you can't um I couldn't differentiate reality from I suppose I don't know what I'd say just sometimes even like psychosis you you can't you can't you can't get a handle on reality you feel like you you know it really does that the people throw around the phrase losing your mind but you really just feel like you are losing your grip on reality when it when it's at its worst that's how I would describe it it's not always that extreme it wasn't always that extreme but it, it was especially a, as I got older it got worse which I
0: think is common yeah yeah that's, that's, how I, that's so it. relatable and and I actually remember um, when my dad passed away, I remember having this feeling of just losing control and I could almost feel myself spiraling. And that's yeah. so similar to how I feel when I'm experiencing my PMDD symptoms. You can almost see it happening, but you can't actually do anything to stop it. And that's that's terrifying, isn't it? To To mm-hmm. not have that control. And that's something that's always scared me that, control is just going it sounds like it's the same for you
1: yeah it is I mean can we ever really have control over our minds I don't know Um, I'm not sure that's a a thing but there's I can't find another way to describe it you just you're losing touch with reality basically Yeah, yeah
0: definitely so what was your light bulb moment then my light bulb moment was
1: during a lecture at uni I did psychology and we had a module about um, biology and how it affects her mental health and there was one very singular lone slide about PMS. I think it wasn't even just on PMS, it was on PMS and um, another disorder as well. It, w- it wasn't on PMDD but that to me was a revelation because I didn't know that PMS was a diagnosable disorder I thought it was just a given thought if you had periods you would have PMS but it turns out it wasn't and I was like oh my god that's I didn't know that so I immediately went onto google and looked it up and through my research came across PMDD um I'm not sure exactly which site I used but just seeing it was the diagnostic criteria of PMDD and reading through it and um every single one of them I had and by this point I was already tracking my period because on an app because I um wasn't on any birth control and I just wanted to know you just want to know when your period comes I think a lot of people do so I'd already been sort of seeing a bit of a correlation of my mood at that point because the period would allow you to enter your mood every day and I looked back over the last, you know, few cycles and realized it matched up. And then a big light bulb moment for me was uh, that some I'd had a real um, psychotic episode, whatever you want to call it, like a really low point in my mental health where I attempted, nearly attempted suicide and was, uh, I quit my job and went home and got, you know, intensive psychotherapy, you know, real mental breakdown, and I went back and I looked at my period and the day it happened was the day before my period and it was just this huge feeling of understanding what had was happened to me yeah it was it was enormously a light bulb moment it's a great way to describe it really
0: and do you think because I, I remember when I had my light bulb moment, and then I thought this is it life will get easier now yeah do you feel like after finding out about it life did get easier or actually did it complicate things more I think it it did and it didn't it, it's um it
1: in the now I can, now I'm post operation I can say it definitely helped in the long term but in the short term it didn't because I thought I was fixed I'd been to therapy I'd gotten over my you know self-harming I'd um done all this work to get back to uni and to look after myself and thought I'm not depressed anymore I've had loads of therapy I feel really great and I the therapy had really helped and I felt a lot better when I didn't have wasn't ovulating but I would still have about a week of feeling really depressed and I just thought what am I doing wrong like I'm doing everything I'm supposed to be doing and I feel really good but for no reason it seems I feel rubbish so having that validation and explanation was great but like you say it was then that what I think like you said in your last episode it's then um, a really long and difficult road to actually getting any treatment
0: yeah definitely uh, and just before we go on on to treatment it's just so funny to hear how again you're just totally putting the emphasis on what am I doing wrong You know, I've done all those things that I'm told I should do. I've had therapy. I'm looking Mm -hmm. after myself. Why is this still happening? Well, it must be me. must be my fault. Absolutely. Definitely a self-loathing kind of trait, Mm -hmm. isn't it? Definitely. (laughs) So let's talk about treatment then. So what's helped, what hasn't helped? I know for you, there's probably been a a therapeutic route. There's probably been a more medicinal route. Mm -hmm. Where did you start with treatment?
1: Well, unknowingly, I started with therapy. I had really good, I still have the same psychotherapist who massively helped. I'm trained to be a psychotherapist, so I clearly like really um, advocate for it. But it it can help to support you, but it won't fix you. And I think I hear some people saying, you know, just getting the right kind of therapy and dealing with your trauma will fix CPMDD. I think that's bullshit I just don't agree with that at all because yeah I I I can't see how that works it certainly helped me cope with my symptoms and um, take care of myself better and have a better support network around me to handle it when I did feel really low but it wasn't enough and then um, my treatment journey started the GP like everyone I had to go to two different doctors to get the diagnosis and then they put me on a few different kinds of pills and none of them worked they all made me worse um so then I tried to go the holistic route and I was vegan at the time and I was eating like I cut out sugar I cut out um like so many different things and had like bottles and bottles of supplements. And I was trying, you know, everything you're supposed to do, like looking after yourself with all all the essential oils, everything um, to manage your hormones yourself. I I stopped the birth control and it didn't make a shred of difference. It literally didn't make Mm -hmm. no difference whatsoever. And I was, it was getting worse and I was really interfering with university. And I had heard about uh, Nick Panay through Laura, who we both know from *Vicious Cycles*. And she, uh, so she had suggested Dr. Panay. So I went to his clinic in London, and my parents paid for me to go privately, um, because I was really at you know breaking point. And they started me on Cineral, which was the GnRH. I don't know if I'm saying that right the um, ovulation suppressor and it was a nose spray and that worked a bit for a few months Um, then it didn't work so then I started the Zolodex injections which is the same kind of drug but um, just a different brand basically and different means of administration and that again worked pretty well for a few months and in those few months I was able to uh, finished my degree because I had taken a, like a year extension um and I finished finished it did my dissertation and got a job um which I was really proud of because it's really hard to work near know so I I really managed life pretty well for for a good few months about about nine months again there's must some be some reason why it's always nine months that these things work but then it started to um just not work anymore basically yeah
0: how did it feel when you realized that the the shine was starting to wear off yeah it was it was it was pretty devastating
1: because I knew that I already knew at that point that my uh next option was surgery um I had come pretty much come to terms with that that, that was the next step for me but I it was a bit of a false sense of hope when the Zolodex worked because I was basically under the impression that I could just try and do that for a few years. And then I could decide if I wanted to have a stroke me. Um, and I was really hopeful that it would work, but it didn't. It, um, it definitely, it definitely wore off and it was wearing off increasingly and it was really expensive as well. Cause I couldn't get it through the NHS. I, I tried and I battled and I battled and, you know, sent emails and had loads of meetings with my GP, and I, they would like no one would give it to me. So I, it was expensive. I was tra- having to travel down to London to do it. No one in the north would see me to do it. Um, and I just was, at, you know, you just get to a point where you don't have any fight left in you. And that's when I uh, realised that it was, you know, it was time to basically bite the bullet and have the surgery. Which was a really tough decision, hopefully that's the hardest decision I ever have to make because it was really rough um,
0: but it was here was the point where I didn't really have any other option. What was the final straw that made you think that's there I need to have surgery?
1: Um, I think I had a really bad month where I really I felt like really like a risk to myself and I didn't have that there is nowhere to go the the mental health services are so sh- shockingly poor that I couldn't really have even gone to A&E to keep myself safe because they just take like send you home you know the crisis team don't really do much especially when you have PMDD because I don't understand that in a few you know in a day, I would have been well enough to go home. and, and You know, the mental health unit isn't the isn't the safest or best place for you anyway, really. But it, it's at the point where you, I was at such a risk to myself. It was then it, the pressure is on the people around you who love you to keep you safe, which is uh, I it just it's such a huge burden for people and it's horrible, you know. So I that was I think the straw that broke it because. I am um, it's just not it's not a life worth living when you're constantly feeling in fear of your own mind and other than that I was feeling happy and healthy and you know really liked my life and like my job and I was you know have a career that I was working towards that I love but you know it was just that the PhD was making it impossible to continue basically
0: yeah, yeah. And it just, I don't know, just listening to everything that you're saying there, I just want to say, it's not fair. It's not mm. fair that you've had to kind of go through this self-loathing, but also it's not fair that nobody's been able to actually support you in a way that you wanted and left mm. you without that decision. Yeah,
1: it is. It isn't fair, but I do also appreciate how lucky I am that I was able to do that, to have the surgery, because it's a big gamble because you don't know whether it's going to work. But for me, it did work. The the signs were there that it would work because I responded well to the Zolodex initially, and I responded well to the estrogen ad back. Um, but it's still a big gamble, and you don't know whether it's going to pay off. But I'm really lucky that it did, first of all, and I'm second of all, I'm really lucky that I was able to pay for private healthcare, and you know, had people around me who were supportive. Because yeah. it's you know, most people are not so lucky. So it's, you know, my situation for me is, you know, rubbish, but compared to a lot of situations, it's pretty, you know, I was never actually, never actually had to be admitted because I had people to take care of me. Um, And, you know, I, I basically nipped it in the bud quick enough that I wasn't, it didn't get that bad. But yeah, it was definitely going that way. So I appreciate when people say, you know, it's time.
0: Definitely. So you had a hysterectomy and an oophorectomy. I can never say that word. So that is, (laughs) that's the removal of the uterus and the ovaries. Is that correct? Excellent. And you know, you probably know a lot more about this than I do, because I think probably like a lot of people, every month I probably think, right, that's it. I'm having a hysterectomy. And then two days later, I'm like, no, I'm all right, actually. I I can totally deal with this. (laughs) And That's what a lot of people probably go through but actually for you 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 just kept going in that cycle and it got too much. Mm-hmm. So for anybody who is I would say seriously considering surgery can we talk a little bit about what it involved and what the process was from when you made that decision to actually going ahead with it?
1: Yeah it's um, the first the first step is finding a doctor who will perform the surgery who will treat you and who will acknowledge your pmdd it's that's really tough but there are people out there and the ifmd website has a list of people who are pmdd friendly basically but that's the first step and then once they have agreed that uh it's the right thing for you so that you have to rule out you know I had lots of blood tests to rule out any other causes of my PMDD or any, cause, any other cause of my symptoms, then you need to be put into um, chemical menopause for at least six months, I think is the um, time frame. It could be could be differ for other people, but I think it was six months for me. And that would be either Zolidex injections or CINAREL or um, people use a depot injection, I think as well. And if that, you will have, um, add back HRT at the same time to protect your bones um, and protect you from um, cervical cancer because you will need the, you will take, have HRT either in gel or patches um, continually. And then for uh, 14 days from when you would be ovulating till when you bleed, you take progesterone pills. And the progesterone, I am progesterone intolerant. That's what my PMDD is. So the days that I had to take the progesterone pills were a nightmare. They're awful. I absolutely dreaded them. Uh, I had such an adverse reaction. I was like convinced my gynecologist to let me only take them for seven days a week, seven days a month, sorry. And um, that went on. I I was doing that, the add back estrogen and seven days of progesterone and the um ovulation suppressant for about a year and a half um it didn't work that whole time but I was doing it for that long and then once I had had enough I asked my gynecologist to recommend a surgeon I found one who would perform the surgery for me um who did it privately and then it was really quick after that um I just went and had a consultation and he just basically took my word for it, which was amazing. Like, you know, he believed me and was, they, all the doctors I saw did ask about the children thing and asked if I wanted to freeze my eggs. I I think a lot of the doctors I spoke to were very pushy about freezing my eggs. Um, I had made my mind up. I didn't want to do that. I, that wasn't a big uh, consideration for me. I wasn't interested in that, so I, it was it was a bit frustrating constantly being asked that. Um, but once I'd gotten through to them that I did not want to have biological children, and I'd made my peace with it, and I did not want to freeze my eggs because of you know there's a lot of side effects to that kind of process. Um, it was then, you know, I could book it in really quickly after that i i waited wanted to wait until the until december because i had uh, christmas holidays off being a teaching assistant and i only had to then take two extra weeks off, off work into for a total of a month off work um and yeah i had a you know pre-surgery meet um what's the word consultation again um to check everything was okay they check um you're all fit for surgery and then yeah it was it happened yeah
0: just like that just like that that. (laughs) and it does it sounds like such an ordeal to go through before you've even had the actual surgery which you would think would be probably the hardest bit but it, it actually sounds like making the decision and going through that ordeal of being asked constantly about your future and that sounds like it was hard enough in itself before the surgery yeah it is and what about the reaction from other people there so I know your your family were obviously really supportive mm. what about kind of a bit wider than that was everybody supportive of your decision or did people struggle to understand I think When I I know from what my mum has
1: said that people who she told, you know, at work or her friends were really shocked and saying, oh, why she need to do that. That's really drastic. And, you know, the, it was, it was mostly doctors who you get that reaction from, you know, my GP said that um, the nurse who I went to go see to in order to get the HRT would say that every time. And I, I'm usually like really passive, and don't say anything but I was so not in the mood when she said that and I just she I think said oh that's really extreme like you're only 24 what what like what on earth are you getting a hysterectomy for like really you know being quite rude about it um and I was just like yeah it is extreme can you imagine what I'm going through to have to <laughs> yeah. consider a bloody hysterectomy at 24 like what, what on earth do you, what on earth do you think is happening, but um, so I that felt that felt pretty good to <laughs> actually clap back <laughs> for once. But yeah, people, it, it, you definitely get a lot of questions about it. I think I think I'm lucky that I'm able to um, articulate myself about it quite well because you know I'd done so much research about it because I and I felt quite comfortable with my decision. But it you do get so much so many you know shocked and disbelief kind of questions uh, which is totally understandable and I think you know if you're in the position to just explain it that's great but oftentimes it's really really emotive topic just for anyone children and fertility is really emotive and I don't think it should be just some random something you just ask people randomly especially not women and yeah um I was, I'm okay with it. I don't mind people asking so much. I think, and sometimes it's quite funny to make people uncomfortable (laughs) asking (laughs) if I'm going to have a child. I'm like, well, I can't, don't have, don't have the facilities for them. But yeah, it's, at the time when I was making a decision, it it could be really
0: tough. Yeah. Yeah. I can only imagine. Do you feel like when you're talking about PMDD, you're, you're talking about it in the past tense or, as in, do you feel like you have PMDD now, or would you say no. you're cured? You don't have PMDD. No, I don't. Wow. I don't know if there's ever
1: a cure. I wouldn't like you said last time. There, there is no cure per se. But I, so far, like touch wood, seven months on, I feel great. Um, I'm. I think one of the lucky ones that I respond really well to oestrogen. So I have a really high dose of estrogen now. I'm on 300 micrograms Um, and yeah, that, that's brilliant. I take, take, add back testosterone as well. And, you know, so I've got a lot of energy and I feel, you know, happy. I feel don't have any menopause symptoms, which is another thing to that people really worry about. So for me, it's, it's been completely life-changing and, you know tentatively i would say i just don't have pmdd anymore at all but you know it, that that's often not the case with people and uh, it's so hard if you if you're in in the position of trying to decide whether you want to get the surgery or not i think the the thing that helped me the most was listening to my gut and you know best you know your body best you know your health best and um my gut instinct was to have the surgery from the get go. I, I just something in me just knew that that's what was going to have to happen. When after I'd done a bit of research and realized all the treatments that I'd tried didn't work, um, and listening to that to my gut instinct was you know the best decision I've ever made. It usually is,
0: you know, in, in anything,
1: listen to your gut. That's love why.
0: that. Thank you for that. So how would you say then that PMDD has impacted other areas of your life? And by that, I mean, you've mentioned about your degree and about your career. Do you feel like PMDD has maybe influenced your passion in that area of psychology?
1: Yeah, definitely. I think most people who do psychology are are probably looking for the answers for themselves. I think that's a bit of a common joke about psychology students, but it is true think when you're looking for answers you do tend to do psychology um it, it affected my studies massively in you know the negative but it also totally has totally given me you know a purpose in life and that's what I'm basing my career off now I'm you know becoming a therapist and I'm I aiming mean to specialize in mental health I you know work at the IPMD and you know have loads of great relationships with people with PMDD and met amazing people around the world so it's been really brilliant in lots of ways but um yeah that's
0: that's easy to say now but i don't have it anymore <laughs> i think that's the thing about PMDD though isn't it i think when you're in having those better days it's almost hard to remember just how bad those bad days feel and and the other way around as well. So, yeah, it might be easy to say that now, but it doesn't take away the fact that you have been through that. And and it obviously has shaped your future as well in in so many ways. What has PMDD taught you about yourself? That's
1: a great question,
0: Laura. I think it's taught me so
1: much about myself. Um, I wouldn't change it for the world now you know I, I, especially now i'm well and i've found a way to live i i definitely wouldn't change it because the amount of <laughs> the amount of retrospection introspection you have to do when you have pmdd you will never like learn more about yourself i think the the general idea about periods um, for people who have a relatively normal cycle is that you have your luteal phase which is where you're supposed to go back and be introspective and you know you know evolutionarily there, there's a purpose for why you have that difference in mood we are on the extreme end of that spectrum but there there is a purpose for it and so we get that you know introspection on crack and you dissect everything about yourself and that's really tough in the moment but you know I feel like I know so much more about myself and it's, you know, forced me to go to therapy, which is the best decision ever and means I'm now going to be a therapist, which is great. But um, it's taught me a great deal about it. Take It teaches you a lot about how to uh, look after yourself and take responsibility for your own health, which is a hugely important thing anyway for anyone. Oh, I love that.
0: And it, it is really nice to hear such like a positive way of thinking about it. So what are your hopes for the future then for yourself and maybe for the the wider PMDD community?
1: I hope I can use my privilege of how, you know, how I've been treated and how I've managed to deal with it to help other people. I think spreading awareness is huge. Um, So doing the IFMD things with them and trying to promote education, I really want to try and Uh, train GPs and get the word out there for universities and to support them but also you know personally and professionally I would want to treat people with PMDD not to fix their PMDD at all but just to have you know having a hypnotherapist or a psychotherapist who would understand what it's like and support them that that would have meant the world to me you know, it's it's really important. I think there's so much out there when it comes to treatment for PMDD or, you know, therapy or whatever that aims to be the cure. And they say, you know, take this supplement and you'll be fixed. If you do this course, you'll be fixed. You do this hypnotherapy, whatever it is. And I completely reject that. I just think that's so patronising. That it's just not true. And um, I would just like to support people with any kind of menstrual health issue because I think it's it's a double whammy of mental health shame and period shame yeah. and, you know, sexism and it, it, there's just so many layers to it. I think it's so underrepresented. That, that's – yeah, I'm really excited for the future and there's just so much more going on now about PMDD than it was a few years ago. We've – you know, you've been on the Metro. I've just been interviewed <laughs> for Daily Mail. Um You know, there's so much more information on the IFMD website. There was that big article um, and news story on the BBC a couple weeks ago. That's amazing. That's so cool. And the people who see that and have their light bulb moment will change their life. So, you know, more, I think the more of that, the better. And hopefully I can contribute in some small way.
0: I love that thank you very much thank you so much for coming on the podcast and and sharing not just your story with us but just sharing so much kind of insight and hope for for the future because I think so many people will be having light bulb moments with all that's happening in the news and the media and I think to hear that actually the diagnosis actually isn't game over it's just going to be different and life will be very different but actually PMDD it sounds like in a really strange roundabout way it's 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 really had a purpose for you actually and if other people can hear that story then it's going to be really inspiring for them so thank you so much for that thanks for inviting me laura it was really fun if you want more information about anything that rachel and i have talked about today then do log on to the iapmd website There's some really useful information about having surgery on there too Next time, I'm going to be joined by Katie from Gwyneth, and she'll be sharing her story of PMDD, how symptoms affect her and those around her and we'll also be discussing the responsibility that society has on supporting women more. Thanks again for listening and don't forget to subscribe and share this podcast so that we can keep spreading our message further.